Welcome, King of Kings. It's great to be with you tonight, and uh, welcome to our King of Kings family. It's good to see your faces. Some of your faces I can see, and uh, it's great to be able to come together into the presence of the Lord. Special thank you to our friend Tyro for leading us in the Seudat Hadon. He's doing double duty tonight. He's back there running the sound, and it sounds like he's doing a pretty good job. I can hear me. Tyro, great job, and then leading us in the Lord's Supper tonight, so he's pulling double duty, and he's not just a sound guy. There's a difference. Anybody can run sound. I could even run sound if you told me which button to push. Tyro's a sound engineer. That means he hears the difference in the sound. I don't hear the difference. <laughs> as long as the sound is up and I can hear somebody talking, I can't tell if it's different, high, low, Tyro does a great job, and uh, let's give him a big hand. Thank you, Tyro. <laughs> also want to say a big thank you to Melissa and the worship team. What a wonderful time of engaging in the Lord in worship, and I'm so glad that we get to be here together. Welcome, King of Kings family. I want to welcome our online community as well, our friends that are joining us from around the world, 25 different countries. Look at this. We have somebody that's joining us from Burundi. That's awesome. And uh, Finland, hello, Veiko and Ula. Good to see you guys there. Sicily, we know who our friends in Sicily are. Kenya, Slovakia, and the USA. I think that's Pastor Chad. No, I know he's not joining us today. He is speaking in a congregation, a church uh, today, but I want to welcome all of our online friends. And Switzerland wasn't on the list tonight because Switzerland is actually here with us in the room. So we want to welcome, <laughs> we want to welcome our friends David and uh, Claudia, who I got a chance to meet this week. And thank you guys for coming all the way to Israel to be with us. It's a pleasure to meet you and put the name with the faces and uh, such a great community that we have, really. Uh, I just want to, as a point of reminder, just remind you that Pastor Chad, our senior leader, is traveling. I know I continue to say that, but I want to keep him in prayer. We got to meet with him this week online. We had a board meeting together, and uh, Chad told us that he is visiting 38 different cities in the United States in this trip. 38 different cities. Can you just even imagine that? So he really needs our prayer. But this week, something exciting and special is taking place. Chad is going to be meeting with Pastor Ray. Remember Pastor Ray, Romero's and Ray and Nikki are getting ready to launch King of Kings Melbourne, right there in Melbourne, Florida. Yeah, let's get that. It, it's an exciting moment for us. And so Chad will be there with Pastor Ray and Nikki as they launch King of Kings, Los, uh, King of Kings Melbourne, not Los Angeles. Anyway, we are excited about that. We're looking forward to that. And then men, we want to just remind you, if you're a man, you are invited to join us tomorrow night. We're going to have our third lesson. We're studying the book of 1 Peter, and it's awesome. And there's nothing quite like being with a group of guys to study God's word together. So this isn't a closed group. If you want to join us, we're meeting tomorrow night, 6.30 to 8. We stop right at 8 o'clock, ask the guys that have been coming. 6.30 to 8 in Liberty Bell Park. Bring your Bible or your device, something to sit on. It's a great time of fellowship together and studying God's word together. So come and join us as we dive into God's word. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is your favorite place to pray? 
what does that look, do you have a favorite place to pray or do you sort of just pray wherever and it's never the same? Do you have a favorite place? I have a favorite place. I have a park here in Jerusalem that I love to go and pray at. And uh, this has been like for years, this is my favorite. It's like, this is where I know God is going to be. There was a season in our lives where we couldn't uh, make babies. And so we began to go to the park once, three times a week, four times a week. And in the morning, we would spend about an hour together, Melissa and I, would, and we'd be praying for children. And the Lord heard our prayers. We have two beautiful children. And this is what that park means to me. So I realized I hadn't been there for a long time, maybe even since COVID. And uh, that doesn't mean I haven't been praying since COVID. Just want to make that very clear. But I haven't gone to my special place in prayer. So I realized, gosh, I haven't been there for such a long time. I think I'm going to go to my park and pray. And I just had so much excitement. And I drove over and I visualized walking through the garden in this quiet spots in the corner. And I was just going to pray. And I was so excited. And I got there. And, and this is what I saw when I got there. Guys, you can throw that up on the screen. Yeah, they're remodeling the park. And they've got it all ripped up. They've literally ripped every part of the park, except the trees, up. And they're putting down pipes, and they're putting in new uh, lights. And uh, this was my park. And at first, you know, I, I was really disappointed. And I'm walking through there, and I'm... More than disappointed, I'm going, man, this is just sad. This is like heaven to me, okay? So I'm walking through my park. This is just so sad. This is bad. Oh, my goodness. And then all of a sudden it hit me, and I thought to myself, this is exactly what deconstruction looks like. This is how it works. It's always messy, and the mess always means that something good, something better, something new is on its way. So then I started to change what I was saying. This is going to be good. I hope. This is going to be really great. So you need to come back in like six months. We'll show you some pictures of the remodeled park. But this is what deconstruction looks like. So if you're just catching up with us, we are in the middle of a series we're calling Deconstructing God, God's True Character. And we've been examining God's character as we examine this process that God uses in our life as he, uh, in the life of every believer, as he remodels us and makes us more like him. We've been using this phrase deconstruction, but what we're really looking at is this idea of growth, of maturing, a process of sanctification, if you will, or reconstruction that God does in our life as he builds us up and strengthens our faith, as he builds up and perfects our theology as he builds up and deepens our relationships with him. And we've been positioning all of our lessons over the last few weeks around this word, deconstruction. Because if we're honest, this is where most of us get stuck in God's sanctification process in our lives, in this reconstruction process where we have a hard time grabbing hold of how could anything good come out of this just like me in the park, we keep repeating the, the refrain as we're walking through a season of deconstruction. How can any of this be any good? This is horrible. I don't like it. And nothing good can come out of this. 
We, we love the idea, though, of growing in the Lord. We love the idea of having stronger faith. We love the idea of God using our lives to change the world. We love the idea of God doing his work in us and through us. But we quickly, we, we look past in all of our humanness the practicality, the reality of how do we get to those places? We ask God for greater faith. But then how do we think he's going to do that? Does he just come in and touch us with his magic wand and, or give us that upgrade of faith and then the next day we walk out, yes, I have faith. It doesn't work that way. We all know that. God is more about the process. So he begins to allow things to happen in our lives to stretch us. You might remember a, a few weeks ago, I told you a story about the season in our lives where God told us that he was going to let the, the bottom of our lives drop out. And what I didn't tell you was a couple of years before that, I was sitting with the Lord and reading through my Bible, and I was reading the story of the children of Israel coming up out of Exodus. And it was literally like I had never heard the story before. And I'm reading this story, and they come out, and then God tells them to go over by the sea, and then suddenly they get trapped over by the sea, and here comes the Egyptian army, and I'm thinking, what in the world was God thinking? He put them in that spot, and then they get trapped, and now what are they going to do? And oh my goodness, why does God have to do stuff like this? And suddenly the Red Sea opens, and the children of Israel walk through on dry land, and the waters flood down on all of their enemies. They're destroyed in one moment. And I sat there, stunned, and I thought to myself, that's never happened in my life. I don't know God like that. I don't know that God. And suddenly I was convicted. I was ashamed of where I was at in my relationship with the Lord. How could I walk with you all these years and not know you like that? So I began to pray, God, please, I want to know you. I need to know you more. I want to know you like that. I want to see your miracles in my life like that. How do you think he answered that prayer? He let the bottom of our lives drop out from under us, but then stepped in in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the chaos, and grabbed our hands and walked with us, showed us his unconditional love, and embraced us. And we need to know that if we want more of him, if we want to see miracles in our lives, if we want to leave a lasting legacy that after you're gone for, for years and decades and centuries, you have left a living legacy, then you're going to need to understand that God's processes of deconstruction have to take place in your life. It's how God does his best work. So to help us understand and to see this process at work in our lives, we've been looking at the lives of several biblical characters and examining, if you will, looking at their moments of deconstruction and reconstruction. It's been fun. We've looked at Abraham and we learned that God is a keeper 
of his promises and nothing is impossible with our God. We looked at Moses and that we learned that God is proud of his children and of his people. We looked at the life of Job, what an amazing man and God we learned is the, uh, the, the initiator of growth and change in our lives. We looked at Naomi out of the book of Ruth and we saw that God is faithful even when it looks like all hope is lost. Then last week, Chris Mitchell gave us a look at King David and we learned that God is working to mature us in every season of our lives. He never stops. Tonight we're going to be diving in and looking at one of the most significant and extraordinary characters of the Bible by far. In fact, he's a little bit bigger than life because he plays such a central role in the Bible. He's literally responsible for writing nearly one half of the New Covenant, 13 out of 27 books. But he's not so big that we can't learn some profound truths of God's processes and how he helps us grow in our lives, how he allows us to know him better as we look at Paul the Apostle. Paul, or Paul was born as Saul, was born and raised about the exact same time as Yeshua. He was born to Pharisee parents, and then he was raised in a model Pharisee home. The Pharisees were a sect or a denomination within Judaism that taught like a strict adherence to the laws of Moses. During his early life, there's no doubt that Saul would have studied the law and the Torah only. He would have become an expert and mastered Jewish history and poetry and the Psalms and prophetic literature by the time he was 13 years old. And from an early age, his parents and Paul would have had their eyes set on the holy city, on Jerusalem, the mothership, the center of Judaism, the premier location where set apart from the rest of the world, he'd be able to study and debate and advance and grow as a Pharisee, as a student of the law. He describes for us in Galatians that before he met the Messiah, he was advancing in Judaism far beyond all of his peers. He had high aspirations of being the top level, the top Pharisee, if you will. This is what he was aiming for. And in his own words, he was extremely zealous and passionate for the traditions of his fathers. He, he had a, a course set in mind. He was gonna be the top Pharisee. And it was this zealous passion, that's this devout adherence to the law that drove Saul to persecute and to punish and to even kill followers of Yeshua, the early church, as he defended the purity of his religion. He no doubt had been watching. He was, a, he was a contemporary of Yeshua. He had been watching and hearing and seeing the exponential growth that was taking place of the, the way, the body of believers, the first believers, the early church, that had been taking place after the crucifixion of Yeshua and after the day of Pentecost. And in his own words, Paul was convinced, or Saul was convinced, that he needed to do everything possible to oppose the name of Yeshua, the Nazarene. The spiritual leaders of the Sanhedrin thought that they had snuffed out 
uh, Yeshua's following as they had eliminated Yeshua from the playing board. But now it's growing in leaps and bounds and it's out of control. And you and I love to read those stories of the book of Acts as thousands are coming into faith of, in faith of Yeshua every single day. They're living together in community and they're proclaiming the power of God's Messiah and God's salvation. But for Saul, this was beyond intolerable. It was enough and everything was on the line. And if he didn't stop the erosion, everything that he'd been living for, everything that Judaism had come to be till that period of time would be destroyed forever in Paul's mind, in Saul's mind. Everything was going to be destroyed. Judaism was going to be corrupted by the heresies of ignorant fishermen. It had to stop at any expense. So Saul takes it upon himself after the stoning of Stephen and with what looks like a shift in the tide of popularity as members of the way are now on the run for their lives, he takes it upon himself to go after and to hunt down every single member of this rogue sect of Judaism, exposing their heresies and arresting and jailing them, imprisoning them, calling them to recant their faith and even having many of them killed. Now, pause there for just a minute. At this point in Saul's life, he's at the pinnacle of his experiences within Judaism, within the Pharisee movement. And he describes himself at this point in his life as a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book, obsessed with persecuting all who strayed from the rabbi's teaching, obsessed with keeping the purity of the law. And by his own words, he says, describes himself, because of all these things, he ended up being a persecutor and a violent man. And then we know the rest of the story. God moves in on Saul. And in one moment, one day, turns everything in his life upside down. You can read about it in Acts 9. His life is turned completely upside down and Saul experiences for the first time probably a moment of deconstruction, a dramatic deconstruction. That's not to say he didn't have more after that, but this is the dramatic deconstruction of conversion in his life as Yeshua presents himself to Saul face to face and he confronts him and he rebukes him for persecuting him, Yeshua, and confronts him and rebukes him for ignoring and fighting against every single thing that God had been trying to do in his heart and in his life. And it's important that we understand this, that Saul had been hearing about Yeshua. He knew what was going on. He'd heard about his teachings we don't know if he ever saw him, but we know that he heard about his teachings. He knew what was going on. He heard about the miracles. He saw the changed lives of his followers, of the disciples. He heard the confessions probably of Peter and John as they stood before the Sanhedrin and said, we have to obey God first. Paul was there. Saul was there. He heard these things. He had been confronted by God's truth multiple, 
ways and probably multiple times. But he kept fighting against them and rejecting them, holding on to his theology and holding on to his traditions and holding on to his religion, refusing to budge. Now we need to pause here again. This isn't something that is unique to Saul. Down through time, men and women still to today do this exact same thing. You and I do this exact same thing. Still to today, one of the most challenging parts of the deconstruction that takes place in our hearts and in our lives is letting go of the old. This is exactly what we see happening in Saul's life. We, we see that God gently and gracefully and graciously comes to us with his, let's call it his remodeling plan. And he lays out the blueprints in front of us and he begins to show us this area of your life probably needs to be changed. This way of thinking probably needs a renovation. Let me come in and, and move some of the furniture out of this room and let's redo that spot in your heart. He comes in to give us greater truths about who he is so that we can know him and that we can really know him because we've been holding on to false narratives in our lives and in our minds and our beliefs and our theology. He comes in to give us greater relationship, to remodel the religion that we've been holding on to and to come in with real, live, authentic relationship, the precious gold of relationship. He comes in to give us freedom in our spirits because we're stuck holding on to man-made traditions or theologies or rules. He begins to shake up our lives and confronts us with truths about himself, exposing areas that need to be changed, areas where we, rely, where we are relying on our flesh and not relying on him. And it's difficult. It's always difficult to let go of the old. Maybe you've had that experience. I have that favorite nightshirt that I like to sleep in. It's probably, no judgment here, it's probably 30 years old, this T-shirt that I love to sleep in. And, and it's old. It's got tears in it and stains on it. And it's been way outstretched. You could probably put it over a, a little... Hippopotamus, it's huge, it's ginormous. It's all stretched out and, and Melissa comes along and she wants to throw it out. And I'm like, wait, what? This is my t-shirt, this is my sleeping shirt. You're not gonna throw this away. You've had that experience. We have a hard time letting go of those old things that we're attached to. They mean something to us. We find identity in. But God graciously and patiently continues to pull them from our fingers, to pull them out of our hearts, to replace them with truth, exposing fallacies of belief, incompatibilities with staying where we are. Now imagine just for a moment if God didn't do that. What kind of a God would he be? He wouldn't certainly be a loving God. Imagine a parent who allowed their child to just stay the way they are, allowing them to be immature the rest of their lives. You've probably seen it in real life. It isn't pretty. 
But God is a God of love. He doesn't allow us to stay where we're at. And this is our first key point tonight. It's always, and underline that always, it's always, always, always God's love for us, which motivates him to expose and to remove, to deconstruct the old in our thinking, our theologies, our beliefs, our actions, as he renews our lives. There's another word for that. We call it sanctification. But we don't like this part of the process where he removes the old. It's a little bit difficult for us. Now let's continue to look at Saul. This deconstruction moment in Saul's life sets Saul on a 180 degree different trajectory. And the fruit of this miraculous conversion transforms him from Saul, a persecutor of the body of Messiah, to Paul, a planter and a champion of the body of Messiah. Saul's life and his message dramatically shift then at this point. It shifts from an adherence to the rules and the laws and the theology and traditions of Judaism, of the religion, to a life of freedom, to a life of God's grace and God's love, of mercy, and of walking in life by the power of God's spirit to be able to live out God's laws, to live out the principles and truths that he writes upon our hearts as we live in relationship with him, replacing religion with relationship. In many ways, Paul then spends the rest of his life preaching and teaching and living out this process of reconstruction, of deconstruction that has to take place in our lives as he renews us, as he sanctifies us, as he makes us look like him. Removing the old ways of religion and replacing them with new relationship and walking by God's spirit. Now, listen to Paul's use of the language of remodeling, his remodeling and reconstruction uh, words that he uses in these verses. You're going to be familiar with it, but listen to how he describes that process of deconstruction and reconstruction. He says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with the Messiah in God. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all of such things as these. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. You were taught, he says, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Light in the Lord, live as children of light. If anyone is in Yeshua Messiah, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's message here is more than just taking off the old 
and putting on the new, it also describes the challenges of remodeling and reconstruction in our lives. Listen to these words in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles that are a part of the deconstruction that's taking place in our lives are achieving for us an eternal glory. The better is to come as we walk through the mess that far outweighs them all. Momentary afflictions, momentary troubles. The deconstruction mess that's in our lives as God is giving us an eternal glory. He says it this way in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth even comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us when the construction's over, when we're, when we're remodeled and renewed, when we've been sanctified and we look like Yeshua. See, before Paul's, Saul's encounter with Yeshua, he was the epitome of the law, the expert of the law, the keeper of the law, the teacher of the law, the defender of the law, but he didn't know God. He knew all the rules about God, but he didn't know God. So God comes to Saul and begins to remodel his heart and his life. And he removes all of the self-made, man-made rules that Saul was holding on to. And he begins to remove all of the things that Saul has been holding on to to give him identity, to give him purpose. And he begins to replace it with the beautiful and mysterious truths of living by grace, the truths of the freedom of walking by the spirit of God's spirit alive inside of you. Paul learned that there's two ways for us to live. We can live our lives, and Paul describes this in each one of the books that he writes, the letters that he writes. We can either live our lives with uh, this understanding that we are soul-driven, carnal, being controlled by our situations, our circumstances, our feelings, our rules, our traditions. We can either live that kind of life, or we can live the freedom of a spirit-led life being motivated by God's spirit that's alive and active inside of us, knowing God personally, allowing God to control and guide and instruct and direct us by his spirit that's alive and written on our hearts. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 6, all of your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. That's the message version. The NIV says it this way, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now become, or excuse me, that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin 
and you've become slaves to righteousness. Listen to that. Just let it sink in for a second. You become slaves to righteousness. Righteousness is commanding you how to live. Righteousness is telling you what to do, how to spend your time, where to go and where not to go. It's not a list of rules. It's righteousness, the living God inside of you, directing you in real time how to live for him. Philip Hunter in his book, The Promise Principle, says it this way. He's describing Romans chapter 6. Before we came to know Yeshua, we obeyed our flesh, our body, and our soul throughout our entire lives. Your usual way of acting is to go with how you feel and how you think. But now that your spirit has come to life, you must learn to obey a new master. Your new master is righteousness. Learning to live by the spirit. This is a challenging reality for us. Learning to live by the spirit versus putting our confidence in living according to the flesh. This reality is at the core of God's sanctification in our lives. This is at the core of deconstruction, this idea of living by the spirit or living by the flesh is at the core as God trains us in deconstruction. He trains us, he tests us, he empowers us to learn how to live, not by what we can see and feel and hear and think, but to live disconnected from those things, not that they don't matter, but to be led by God's heart's direction, intimately, personally, one-on-one with him. It's a new way to live, led by God's spirit. It's the difference of being given a list of directions by someone to get someplace, they're all written out on a piece of paper, or having that person step into the car with you And they're there in the seat next to you telling you, turn to the right, turn to the left, go straight, slow down here, speed up here, watch out for that bump. Better than that, they're in the driver's seat driving you to that spot. You see, what we typically do, if I can use another driving analogy, we like to put life on cruise control. In our human nature, We like to live by a list of rules and traditions, just like Paul did. Now listen to me, don't turn out your ears yet. In this way, living by a list of rules, it's a lot easier. We don't have to pay attention as hard. We just put it on cruise control and let the car do all the work. We don't have to know or interact with God. We don't have to do the hard work of listening, tuning in our ears and listening to God's spirit saying, slow down here, speed up here, turn to the right, turn to the left. Oh, wait, don't use those words. Okay, now you need to speak. That's hard work. It takes something from us to be able to do that. It's easier to just have the rules and do the exact same thing every, in every situation. But God wants to free us from that so that in every situation, it's different. We're listening to his spirit. And in this situation, we might use these words. 
And in the exact same situation over here, we might use some different words or no words at all. God wants us to, to free us from the list of rules. In every situation like this, I do A, B, C. That's how Paul lived. Or we can learn how to live our lives with our hands on the steering wheel. Doing the hard work of actually listening to God's spirit as he guides us and he's directing us. And we're allowing him to be in control. See, this is where it really boils down to either he's in control and we're listening and we're living by the spirit or we're in control. And this is where God's been putting his finger in my heart, in my life. And I really believe that this is what God wants to do in his body today. He wants a body that is tuned in to him, listening to his spirit, that isn't just going through the rote motions of how to live like a, a believer. God wants something different from us. He wants something better, a different kind of life where there's real relationship, that it isn't just religion. This is our second key point tonight. God, by his spirit, lives inside of us as he guides us, guides our lives with his eternal laws in real time, giving us the freedom to know him intimately and personally, giving us the freedom to obey him in real time. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. See, Paul's life and his message challenge us to a different kind of living, and we get to have the choice to a different kind of living, a different kind of growing and maturing. We either grow, which there's not very much growth there, we either grow with life in cruise control, where we're in control, we make the decisions, where there's very little growth that takes place, where life, let's just be honest, life is a lot less messy, where it's not as much work. We just put it on cruise control, sit back. It's all going to happen in place, in time. But not much happens there. We have the choice. Or we can choose to do the hard work, tune our ears in to his spirit, and let the spirit in the car with us. And not just let him in the car with us, but let him drive. Ooh, that's really hard. How do I know he's not going to take the wrong turn? He's going to take the wrong turn. Where life, because we've allowed him to do that reconstruction in us, life's a little bit more messy. It's a little more unpredictable. It's a lot more fun, but it's also a lot more work as we listen to his spirit guiding us and directing us. So the choices are, is we get to make that choice. And I'm convinced that God is putting his finger on this in the heart and the life of the body. Here in Israel, in Jerusalem, King of Kings, in me, and around the world. Because 
As we look forward, we know that God needs a body that's nimble, that is able to move, that is attractive because they're not the same every single time. But there's life in them. They're attractive because they're not, they're not pre-prescribed. They, they have something that's new and fresh that's different. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. Would you stand with me? We are going to need to do some hard work with the Lord. I don't know where your favorite prayer place is, but can I encourage you? Can I challenge you? Can I give this to you as your homework? Write this down someplace where you'll see it again this week. Would you begin to ask God to do that hard work in you? give you the grace to do that hard work with him, to begin living life guided by his spirit. Let his spirit be the one that tells you to turn to the right and to the left. It isn't easy. We talk about it as believers all the time, but it isn't easy. It takes hard work to tune my ear in and even harder work to put my will down and let God have his way in my life. So let's pray, God, we're just confessing to you tonight, this is an area where we're not strong, where we, your people, the body of Messiah, we're not strong here. We know how to follow the rules. We're really good at following rules. We wanna be free from that. Set us free to live a life that's led by your spirit to live a life that looks more like you. Lord, I pray for each and every one that's in this room and everybody that's watching online tonight. Give us that grace. Continue to prompt us in our spirits. Don't let this area of our life go quiet, God. We need your spirit inside of us. We pray for a breakthrough in this area in each one of our lives tonight and in this week. And as we continue to go and grow with you. We pray this in Yeshua's precious name. Amen. Man, let's worship the Lord.